500 years ago he washed ashore the sole survivor of a shipwreck and upon the skull of the man who killed his dad he said i'm mad i must eradicate piracy injustice and cruelty and all my sons will follow me so evil doers will believe that this man cannot die the man the ghost who walks enemies beware the phantom's always there but you won't find the phantom he finds you G'day everybody, and for those who have come in late, you're listening to the X-Band The Phantom Podcast. My name is Jermaine, and tonight I am joined by Dan. How are you, buddy? Uh, really good, Jermaine, really good. Um, other than the fact that my, my school holidays finished tonight and I'm back at work tomorrow, um, so I'm well rested and ready to attack 2018. So no no better way to start the uh, working year than um, a late night doing a podcast. <laughs> exactly right. I wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's it. So um, tonight's a very special uh, occasion for us. Um, we have already had a, a wonderful view of this person's collection, uh, and it was just a little tiny little bit, which we will be posting up. Mm. But before we do that, uh, let's introduce the man and... Now, I've known Pete for a little while. I was lucky enough to meet him once when he came to Australia. And, uh, of course, um, he is a friend of the Phantom, um, which I'm sure everyone will agree. Uh, Pete Clouds, how are you, buddy? Um, let me say to my Australian brother, good day, mate. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, I'm doing fine, doing great. That's good. So, um... So thank you for joining us, Pete. So, um, so I guess we'll just get straight into it. Uh, like like we said in the intro, we've got a whole bunch of questions here. So um, I'm ready. Yeah, let's just go for it, and then uh, we'll we'll probably get off on some tangents, but that's all part of the uh, experience. And um, yeah, uh, thank you for joining us, and uh, let's get stuck into it. Okay. So so Pete, so ha- I, I guess how did you become a fan? I became a fan at a very young age because um, my mother had one sister, and her sister owned a farm. Uh, basically, she sold eggs uh, to people that just stopped by. One of the guys that would get eggs every day from my, my aunt um, was a guy who distributed comic books to various stores in the Baltimore area. And she had seven sons. So this guy was nice enough to give her a stack of comic books every week, starting back probably in the late 40s or early 50s. When her boys would read them, they brought them to my brother Joe, my brother Billy, and myself. So it included the early Superman, uh, Batman, all the ones that are worth money now that I no longer have. Mm. But um, <laughs> I had the occasion to see some early Phantoms, and uh, just one comic did it for me. I looked in the uh, newspaper every day for this uh, mysterious purple-clad figure riding this beautiful white stallion with his hidden headquarters in the jungle with the uh, uh, just fascinating skull cave. It's just you know, took me by storm. 
and I couldn't read at the time. I was four years old and starting, and I would ask my mother to help me read it, and she says, well, I have to cook. You know, because we have a big family. She said, you're going to have to learn to read yourself. So she helped me, of course, but by before I got to five, I was reading The Phantom every day. So that was the start of it. Mm. And my interest in comic books um, came about because of uh, my connection with my aunt bringing the uh, free comic books. Uh, and then I worked um, at 14 year old, years old at a, a drugstore who had a lot of comics and I could read them without paying for them. So that's how my interest got started. So, are you just a Phantom fan, or do you collect other stuff as well? Well, I do, um, but nothing like the Phantom. Uh, there was a character you may or may not know because you're younger than I am, but um, back in 1948, of course, I didn't know her then. I was born in 45. Uh, there was a character, comic character by the name of uh, Little Lulu by Marjorie Henderson Buell. Hmm. Yeah. And um, my uncle used to get uh, these comic books, and that's basically what his kids read. And when I'd come over, I'd read them, and I got hooked on them because uh, the character Little Lulu was so well written by an um, artist writer named John Stanley. So I figured, well, I had two girls and I have a son. Peter would get my Phantom collection and Jennifer and Lindsay would get the Little Lulu collection. Well, as it turned out, Peter liked X-Men. He likes the Phantom, but he really liked X-Men and Star Wars. And um, my girls could care less about Little Lulu. <laughs> but I collected every Little Lulu comic that was ever printed in the United States from uh, 1945 through, I think the last one was printed in 1982. So I had everything. So thinking about that, about two weeks ago, believe it or not, I sold the whole collection. Oh. My girls weren't interested. It would give me spending cash to buy Phantom Original Art. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> as you know, and other other pieces, three-dimensional pieces. And I was ready for it. I have all the stories in reprint. So I have a few, maybe a handful of the Lone Ranger. I have a handful of Tarzan, um, and about a year and a half ago, I sold 18 boxes of these, what they call Golden Age comics, because uh, I kept the box for myself just to reminisce, and the original comic books I sold to a guy in Georgia who was interested. But yes, I had other characters I liked, but nothing like the Phantom. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So um, for for people um, and, and who have come in late to to Phantom Collecting, or uh, and we, we just spoke earlier, I, I've sort of only come back into the fold in the last probably five or seven years in, in a serious sense, um, and, and are getting to know, I guess, a bit about the legend of Pete Klaus. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the things that I read today was that, um, and it was written by Ed Rhodes in one of the Friends of the Phantom newsletters, that Pete is the world's premier Phantom collector and possesses more knowledge about the toys and the character than anyone. Um, so that's uh, that, that's probably from about 15 years ago, I suppose. Or, or, or so. Yes, it's all ago. Um, 
Let me tell you how I met Ed Rhodes. Um, I'd been collecting the Phantom for a number of years, and I get the telephone call out of the clear blue. Guy introduces himself at Ed Rhodes, a teacher out of Catawissa, Pennsylvania, which is a rural area in central Pennsylvania. By the way, Catawissa means uh, it's an Indian word, and it interprets um, from uh, in English to fat Indian. So it must have been good hunting up there. But it's a rural area. And uh, Ed said, um, I heard that you have a lot of phantom comic strips cut out of the paper. And I said, I have a fair number. He said, may I buy some? I said, you could, but I'd rather give them to you. And he said, oh, man, thanks. Because I had them in comic book form. I kept a handful. And that's how we got to be friends. Hmm. Uh-huh. So, were you? How did he come to just call you out of the blue? Are you, are, were you well known as a collector in yeah. that time, or uh, pre-internet I, era? How did pe- how did people in America become um, aware of each other as Phantom fans and collectors? Okay, I'll tell you. Um, I used to go to every comic show, toy show, and I'd introduce myself to the people that carried the kind of merchandise that I was looking for, whether it be a toy dealer or a comic book dealer, and I introduced myself as Pete Klaus, the Phantom Man. Hmm. So they would get, take my number if they found something, and um, so everybody had my telephone number, and when Ed was inquiring at a show about Phantom comic strips, uh. guy gave him my number, and he said, you have to call this guy. Hmm. He has a lot of material. So... In less than a year, Ed drove down with his wife um, because his mother was dying of cancer. Here he would have come right down. So about a couple months uh, after his mom passed, he and his wife, his daughter, and his youngest daughter, who was just an infant at the time, uh, her name is Renee, uh, they came to my house. And, of course, I filled them up with some phantom goodies. And the very first day that he met me, He'd never seen me. He got a picture of me somewhere, and he did a portrait of me as the Phantom, and he was spot on. I don't know how he did it, but <laughs> I still have that painting. That's he how. was actually a, he was a talented artist. Ed. He really was. He was more talented in the area of um, facial portraits than I would think. Um, he knew his anatomy, but the problem that I saw when you compare him to like the real good Phantom artist is that his the body of the Phantom did not flow like a, say like a Cyberry or a, a Luke McDonald, but Ed could do a face with the best of them. I think, yeah. my personal opinion, I have a lot of his work in my collection because we were friends. Yeah, so, he gave me a, um, a portrait of the Phantom. I think it was in charcoal, and um, it's, yeah, it's, it's very nice. It's excellent. Yeah, he did a real nice portrait of, uh, this is prior to the movie, of Billy Zane as the Phantom for me, which gave me like a sneak preview of what he would look like. It was very good. <laughs> so, so... Do you remember when that was? Like, um, I, I seem to remember that you guys founded the Friends of the Phantom fan yeah, club in the early I mean, 90s. 
it was actually before that. I met Ed Rem in 88, 89. He called yeah. me. I can't remember if it was 88 or the end, but it was near December. I remember that. Mm. Um, and uh, uh, we just had a, a good friendship after that. Uh, see, here's a story about five years prior, or maybe even six, I wanted to meet other Phantom fans in the States. And I did belong to, or I knew um, John Henderson from the uh, hmm. first Phantom Club. And I asked him if he'd be so kind enough to give me the names of people that, you know, um, received his uh, newsletter that lived in states. We sent me a list of about 20 names and numbers. And um, most of the numbers were um, wrong because, I guess, people moved or changed locations. But five of the numbers I called, and the most important call that I made was to Bob Griffin. Bob oh, yes, yes. Um, English professor that lives in um, western Michigan, has been a Phantom fan since he could walk, and still has all of the newspaper clippings from the earliest Phantom uh, pages um, and probably the oldest collector that I know of just sheer Phantom stuff. Hmm. And he's very articulate anyway, but I called Bob and we got to be great friends. And when he told me he had two original Ray Moores, oh man, I was thinking in my mind, what can I do to buy one? (laughs) He very politely wrote back. He said, Pete, you'll be able to understand this. He says, these were given to me by um, the wife of a um, art dealer in Chicago. And they're like my children. And, you know, I couldn't tell my children. I said, well, I certainly understand. I said, but I had to ask. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and he suggested that we start a club, uh, start a newsletter. And I was all for that, but... He was uh, teaching, and his schedule was full, and I was teaching, and my time was full, and we were thinking about it over the summer. In that interim, um, we got to know Ed Rhodes, and Ed really wanted to start one. But prior to Ed Rhodes, just prior to Ed Rhodes, um, uh, which I don't want to say, um, Bob Griffin, uh, and I found that Lee Falk was coming to New York. Bob couldn't make it, but I was I was hell bent on meeting Lee Falk. So that was like um, probably nineteen, a little bit before nineteen nineteen eighty nine maybe. And um, I went up by train with another collector friend. He was into Superman or something. So I waited for Lee Falk. Probably I waited three hours, just wanted to see him. And uh, they finally opened up the room where he was going to speak. And I got a front row seat and I had something that I had made. It was a uh, Lifetime Achievement Award uh, with a nice shot of the Phantom on it uh, to leave Falk for his outstanding contribution to comic, you know, the comic industry. Yeah. And um, I told the moderator who's a very famous guy, too, and I, his name eludes me, but he read a lot, had written a lot of uh, uh, prefaces for the Phantom uh, paperbacks by Avon. It wasn't Ron um, Goulart. Ron is, 
Rondelar, yeah. And Ron, why don't you, after we have the uh, introduction, come up and present Lee with this. He'll really like it. So I'm waiting here, and I got my little my little plaque. And here comes a real elegant, thin, um, almost like a movie director type with an ascot and a cane and a dapper Panama hat. And I knew that was Lee. And he sat down and waiting for this to get started. And like everybody was looking and seemed like everybody was afraid to approach him. But I said to myself, damn it. He said, I came so long and waited too long to meet him. I'm going up and introduce myself. And I did. I said, uh, hi, Lee. I said, my name is uh, Pistol Pete Klaus from Baltimore. He said, how would you get that name Pistol? I said, they were from my basketball days. I could knock them in with the best of them. So he just laughed, and uh, he said he actually worked in Baltimore for the uh, News American newspaper for a while as a writer. So that was pretty cool. So we had a little connection, and um, from that time on, Lee and I had been good friends and uh, conversed and talked often on the phone. Well, wow. what, what the point I wanted to make that I, I veered away from was that Bob and I did want to start – or we didn't know who to um, what to put on that plaque. Who was it from? We didn't want to say from Bob Griffin and Pete Krause. <laughs> yeah. So I came up with the name Friends of the Phantom. So we were the two early friends of the Phantom. Um, about a year later, we met Ed Rhodes. We came up with Ed Rhodes, and I introduced him to Bob, and he said, I'd like to start a newsletter. And... Um, just prior to the newsletter, Jim Shepard was coming to New York to get some, to sign some contracts at King Features and also to get some information from Bob Griffin, some um, uh, old newspapers that he needed for a, a story. And they got to be good friends. And he invited Bob to have lunch with Lee. And he asked Lee if I could come. And then, um, I said, suggested to Bob, let's call Ed Rhodes because he would come also. So we did, and that was kind of like the start of the Friends of the Phantom. But it really wasn't until Ed did the newsletter that the club really blossomed. Mm. That's really how it all went down. There was a big, big stink between Bob and uh, Ed about, you know, the origins of the Friends of the Phantom. But, you know, all that stuff is not important to me. The family, yeah. you know, and friendship, what he stands for. Mm. Okay. Yes. So you became a, so so you're one of the, well, the three of you then are the founding members of this, the Friends of the Phantom fan club. Exactly. Originally it was Bob and I, and I called Ed in because he wanted to do a newsletter. Yeah, yeah. okay. And, and that gave something, I guess, tangible for other people who wanted to join the club to, to yeah. say, yeah, this is what we've got. Yeah, and then people that we met that got in touch with her, she said, well, we're starting this newsletter. Yep. And we had, a, we had a chemist out of um, New York that had, I don't know, a lot of original, even a Ray Moore, a lot of Wilson McCoy art pieces, as well as every Phantom comic book and Ace comic book that he was in. And I thought that was kind of neat. And then we had a... Uh, Dr. Dr. Todd Goldberg, who was a, a head of geriatrics 
and Lee was quite interested with him because Lee was getting up in age, and of course he wanted <laughs> his faculties uh, sharp. So he was asking him all kinds of questions. Well, how can I stay younger? And I think Todd's answer was just keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. Hmm. And so when did uh, when did Chris Smith become a part of the club as well? Because he's another fairly big name. Well, with the, yeah. Um, I didn't know Chris Smith at all. He got in touch with Ed. I uh, saw the newsletter or heard of the newsletter. And I get a call from Ed Rhodes. He said, uh, Pete, he said, I made contact with a guy named Chris Smith who lives in California. And he had something in common with both of us. And um, I said, what's that? He said, he plays the guitar. And he said, I play the guitar and you play the guitar. Of course, different venues. Ed was more, uh, more rock and blues. And Chris uh, was, I think, a blues guitarist or a jazz player. And I was more of the folky type, you know, John Denver and Peter Paul Mary. And that because it's era I grew up in. But we had the guitar in common and we had the phantom in common. So he introduced Chris to me, and then Chris had all these grandiose ideas of um, uh, writing a book and um, getting in touch with people and getting, um, you know, getting to know exactly what was out there and buying things. That's yeah. a relation with Chris Smith. And I sent him uh, some good stuff. I gave him some original art and different things that he asked me for. But I haven't heard from him in the last probably five years. Okay, okay. yeah, no, I haven't heard. Um, he's kind of a lot like uh, John Henderson from the Phantom Club. He just kind of disappeared. Um, and I do know this. Um, he was married to a black lady, African-American, uh, and had a blues club in um, the Oakland area of California. And they divorced or separated. I don't know the reason. Probably a phantom collection. <laughs> <laughs> he was buying and she was supplying, if you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, he did acquire some great stuff. Uh, and I, uh, about a year ago, he, I saw some of his... He got into making... Phantom uh, statues he was trying to pawn uh, off. They were okay. In fact, I still have one of the Phantom running just to have one. Um, and I noticed they were on the internet for sale, and I dropped the seller a note, and I said, Chris, haven't heard from you. How are you doing? But he never replied. I know he got the uh, message, so he wants to sure. remain, remain anonymous, I guess. And I don't know if he's in Tasmania or if he's in California, yeah. to be honest. I know uh, John Cookson, when he went to America for his honeymoon, actually, um, he went and saw Chris Smith's Christmas collection. It was, um, if I have it on video, yeah, now, huh. I probably doesn't have it anymore because with the breakup, I, didn't, I think he had to sell a lot of stuff. Yeah, okay. That's so, all I know. Yeah, so with your collection, um, do you focus on anything particular or are you just more of a kind of like anything you can grab? 
everything um, <laughs> to answer your question. Uh, one of the things I was very, there were two things, two areas I was very interested in. Um, I had a number of uh, Phantom Halloween costumes. I was interested when the first Phantom Halloween costume came out in the U.S. and how many there were. There were actually two major companies, Collegeville and Cooper. Yep. Collegeville is a little town in Pennsylvania that actually started out making flags from all over the world and eventually got into the children's costume making business and they did characters like Bugs Bunny and Superman and every every character available but um, I start looking for any show that I ever went to for phantom costumes and over the years I think I found every one uh, they originally had a skin tone on the face and uh, all of them slipped on you slipped your legs in them and your arms and it tied in the back and it had a graphic of the phantom on the front and um maybe a hint of the boots that were like uh lithographed on and then you'd just wear black shoes and you'd look like you were dressed as a phantom Mm. um and then around in the 19 mid to uh early 1960s they start making the mask of the Phantom a green color. And the reason for that is that little kids would go trick-or-treating at night, door-to-door and here in the States, and uh, this green would reflect off the car headlights or other lights. So mm. I didn't really like that because it made huh. the Phantom look like an alien. So, but, uh, so you're saying that the purple was actually really good camouflage? Oh, yes. Because <laughs> that's a common criticism. <laughs> so yeah. I'm, I'm really pleased to hear that uh, it turns out purple's a really good color if you want to hide in the darkness. <laughs> that's right. Um, I asked Lee Falk the very first time I met him, I said, Lee, I said, I understand that the Phantom's color is purple here. And um, I noticed in my comic books in Little it- in Italy, um, some areas in South America, in Mexico and in France, in Greece, and a few other countries that his costume is red. And in Sweden and um, the Scandinavian countries and and some of the uh, uh, places in um, uh, in near near Russia, uh, his costume is blue. He said, well, Pete, he said, back when we first started doing the Phantom, Italy actually produced the first comic book and they wanted original art. So art was sent to them to Italy, but we didn't send them a color scheme. So what they did, they used a color that they thought would look good in comics. So actually the Italian companies came up with the red color. Mm. And as the stories were sold around to Mexico, South America, they printed them from what Italy had, so that's why some of the countries did red. Um, I assume that in Sweden they wanted a more mysterious look for the costume. And, uh, of course, his original idea was gray, to have Mm. it vanished like smoke in the jungle. But it, it wasn't really a good color for comic books. Yeah, yeah. 
So <laughs> that's why I think we have all the, the three different major colors of the Phantom. Mm. And so, mm. do you do you, do you still read the comic books, Pete, or or the the newspaper strip? I do, I do. Um, when the late Paul Ryan was alive, I used to talk to him quite often, and he actually put me in three stories. <laughs> and I got the hell beat out of me again by a purple clad hero. You, you've been and in a, a number of stories, haven't you? I'm about twelve. Hans Lendl did one called the zombie gang and he had never none of these artists really met me other than Cyberry. So I had he had to use photographic reference. And um I'll tell you how the stories came about. But um I remember Ulf Kronberg was a close friend of mine when he would come to the States. I invited him to Baltimore and we would go around and uh we had a lot of good adventures. Went to um uh, Fort McHenry, home of the Star Spangled Banner, and we went to weddings together, and so we got to be pretty close. And I think he asked um, both Hans Lendl and um, Cesar Spadari, who did a, a, a really good rendition of Ed and I in a the, book called Ed, The Mystery in Baltimore. Yeah, was that the Alan Edgar Poe? Ed, Edgar Allan Poe, yeah. By the way, that story had some truth to it. Every year, at, at, I think in May, yes. at the grave of Edgar Allan Poe, they leave a bottle of cognac and flowers, and it's a mysterious person. And that's kind of what the story was about, part of that. So um, I've been in um, – Felmang has done me in three stories. Um uh, Graham Mullen did me in three stories, uh, and our um, the last Phantom artist uh, that put me in the story was uh, our friend that just passed away. You know, um, Paul Ryan. Paul Ryan. Yeah. So yeah, he did you in the. Um, yeah, he did you in the. In the what was it the Empty Throne saga? I think it was the first part. You were the uh, high school, no, the college um, phys ed teacher. That's right. Yeah. So I mean, the best one I think, or my my favorite one was one that um, Felming did, um, and at the on the splash page of the comic, all the characters are in small ovals. And he's got my face in there, and underneath, my, for my name, it's Klaus. But it's uh, the way he had me, Klaus was my first name, like a surname, a German surname. And the uh, yeah. story about George Clooney, I think, but he couldn't call him Clooney because of rights and yeah. gave him another name. That's, that's got to be a massive thrill to be, uh, to be depicted in a phantom story. Yeah, because I loved the family so much, and my family loved it. Yeah. And uh, I can, I'll never forget, I think it was around 2004 or five. Graham Nolan did one called The Briefcase. It yes. was a story where Ed Rhodes and I were both in the story, and three crooks uh, robbed the bank, but one of the crooks was kind of repenting and took the briefcase of money. And Ed and I were hunting for him in the jungle. And um, the Phantom's children, 
we're just playing around in the jungle and they see this guy with a briefcase and then he puts his finger over his lips, I think, and tells him, you know, don't say anything. And then Ed and I come in and we said, have you seen so-and-so? And they said no. And evidently, they, um, eventually they find out and I'm getting ready to shoot a tit. And the phantom comes in and shoots a gun out of my hand and beats the hell out of Ed and I and we're in prison with skull marks on our face. <laughs> so, it, um, I, are you... lot, it was a thrill. It was a thrill. <laughs> Kids are saying in school, but they thought I was bad because I had a gun. I was going to say, were you always the bad guy in the in these? <laughs> you always getting the heck beaten out of you. <laughs> one of the stories that um, I'm trying to think who did that one. Uh, I think it was Cesar Spadari. He put me in the second part. It was two different artists doing this long story, and I was a bad guy in part of it. And then I eventually helped the Phantom. Right. <laughs> And I kind of repented. That was the only time that I was good in all the stories. So <laughs> I'm a look like a bad guy. You just must have a face like a roughneck. <laughs> yeah, I did. And I, I used to box a little when I was younger, too. So I guess that's part of it. That's <laughs> <laughs> big cauliflowers and the pug nose. So. <laughs> and the phantom is rough on roughnecks, as you know. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. <laughs> So, who would be your favourite um, authors and artists, and uh, and and then like, have you got any specific stories about any of them or anything you want to share? Well, my favourite artist of all time is Cy Berry. I think he, to me, epitomises what the Phantom should look like. Um, it was very consistent, and. The thing I like the most, as much as, you know, Wilson McCoy and Ray Moore were the history of the Phantom, and, hey, don't get me wrong, I loved everything about them. Cy Berry brought the Phantom to life. He made it like, hey, that could be a real person. That looks like a real person. Yeah. And it's funny, I was talking to Ulf Gronberg about that about 15 years ago, and he said that he used to read the Phantom as a young boy, and... uh they were reprinting a lot of Wilson McCoy stuff and Ray Moore stuff in Sweden. And when Cy Berry started drawing, he got a renewed interest, sort of like, you know, started all over again. Then eventually he got the job as the publisher. But that's what brought off back in, he told me. Mm. So Cy Berry is my favorite artist. and But I like everybody. I love Sal Voluto, mm. uh, Paul Ryan, um, Doug Plowba. I mean, they all yeah. have their strengths. You know, one might draw devil better, for example. One might do better with hero. But overall, with everything, Sideberry is my favorite. Mm. Yeah. What, so, what do about... you still read the? Um, do you still read the like the newspaper strips in your paper oh, today? Yes. And... With one oh. sad thing, uh, I guess because of the computer age or whatever. Um, our particular paper, we used to have two newspapers in Baltimore, the News American, which was the one that I think Lee worked for. And in, in the uh, mid-60s, uh, they went out of business. So the main paper and the only paper, major paper, is the Baltimore Sun. And they ran the Phantom every day in um, dailies and color. 
up to about six years ago. And I think it got to be a point where they could save money by not paying King Features X amount of dollars to reprint the Phantom. Yeah. And I think that's happened to a lot of the newspapers yeah. in, in the state. So I, I can get them online. And, uh, but usually Bob Griffin sends them to me. So, yeah, I do keep up with the, the latest stories. There's one called um, Return of the Locust about Walker's yeah. Table right now. Yep. Yeah. So what are your thoughts of uh, Jeff Weigel and Mark Manley? Well, um, art, from an artistic standpoint, um, they're both good. I think um, I noticed on Manley's Phantom, seems like his head is a little bit smaller than the body. And there's something odd-shaped, not all the time, but in some panels. Uh, Jeff Weigel, um, I think I like his art a lot. Um, I haven't seen as much of Weigel as I have of um, Manley. And by the way, I did meet Mike Manley at the Baltimore Comic Con a couple of years ago. Of course you did. <laughs> Try to keep in touch with him, but he's very hard to get a hold of. Yeah. Mm. He's very busy. But out of the two, I think uh, right now the rendition of the Phantom I really like by Jeff Weigel. Mm. Got to see more of. Mm. Yeah, in his current story, he's in very good form with the um, with the mooding and the and the lighting and the coloring and stuff like that. And, and uh, I think I think too that you know he's only what, seven or eight months into his run too. By the I know, agree. So, give him you know, give him time to judge. But I'm just first impression. Yeah, no, I, I'm really loving his work as well, and I, I can only imagine how much better it's going to get over the, the coming times as he gets more into the rhythm of it. Okay. I'm a good friend of Tony DePaul, the writer, too. Hmm. He's a, quite an interesting guy. He lives <laughs> in um, uh, Rhode Island. Yeah, I think Rhode Island. And he's a big motorcycle fanatic, uh, yes. Harley Davidson. And he does a lot of um, touring around the country. So if you ever see motorcycles in the story, you know he knows what he's talking about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, that that saga of Johnny Hotwire was um, very, you know, very yeah, true to yeah, form, yeah. wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. And he's a good guy to talk to. He's a lot of fun. Never... Yeah, we've done a um, we've done a, a, an interview with him, and we've uh, I think he's promised us a, a podcast interview as well. So um, yeah, looking forward that to talking to him. That. I can't wait for that one. Mm. So so have you met? Because um, I think uh, you've mentioned how you went over to uh, Sweden. Um, did you meet many people and creators over there? And was was that yeah, a good well, time? I had um, lunch with uh, and dinner with uh, Hans Lendl. We're very close. We talk about once every two weeks. He's a very interesting guy. I was hoping to meet Kerry Lepinen, but uh, the week I was over there, he and his wife went to Canary Island for uh, vacation. So I didn't get to meet him. And I did, however, attend the um, Swedish Family Club uh, it is um, school area or college area classroom. And uh, they had, uh, I was about 35 or 40 members. And it was quite different than the, my Austra- Australian experience. 
And part of that was because of how Richard and Tony DiDeo, you know, helped the um, hospital out. And they have really neat things that you can buy and, you know, bid yeah. on, which made it interesting. Um, and, of course, the food was great. <laughs> um, <laughs> in Sweden, it was more or less talking about the Phantom and they, they're asking questions to John Bedoni and I. And um, I brought them over a lot of, uh, I had a big bag of goodies and I made sure everybody got something. And I uh, had a great experience over there. But um, to answer your question exactly, uh, Hans Lendl and Michael Soul I met. And, of course, Ulf Gromberg, we had a great dinner with him, and he showed me all of his art. And almost every little toy and knickknack that um, uh, the company ever made to endorse the Phantom, stuff like uh, three liter or excuse me two liter bottle of uh, um a drink with the uh, phantom family on it the two kids and diane and phantom and then of course they made a small bottle of the same stuff with a different label and then of course the uh, cans of drink they called jungle juice or something mm. swedish and that was interesting yeah um, I've always been fascinated with Hans Lindell. He's um, probably one of my all-time favourite artists and stuff. So when you showed me the original art of him, I, um, I really enjoyed that moment. I have another one back there I can show you at another point. It's a uh, pencil drawing. I know I have some more in my... Um... Yep, yep. Okay. Sure. I, have more, I have more in my... Uh... Uh, boxes back there, but I didn't pull them out, so I don't <laughs> want to waste our time now, and we'll do it another time. Yeah. Had I known he was your favorite, or one of your favorites over there. Yeah. Uh, Terry Lepman's uh, one of my favorites, too. He's really an excellent artist. Mm. Uh, he does a lot of detail, and I met him about 20 years ago. Met meet him, we talked 20 years ago, and uh, separated from his wife, and I lost contact. And at that juncture in our relationship, he was going to do a color portrait for me of the Phantom. And years later, when we made contact, he made good on that and sent me the most beautiful color shot of the Phantom on Hero riding past the Skull Cave, and it's absolutely magnificent. So I like uh, Terry a lot. Mm. Yeah, I like his... He's, he's very... His art looks very good in black and white. Yes. I like Cesar Spadari a lot, too. Yes. Haven't seen much of him lately. No. Um, in fact, I sent him a couple packages. He's in Argentina. Huh. And uh, just to send him little phantom goodies here and there. And uh, it's something weird with the government. They wouldn't allow him to get it. So they oh. sent it back to me, and this went on for like four months. Huh. I tried it one way uh, in registered mail. They sent it back in regular mail. So we just keep in touch. Uh, he sends me, um, I usually send him a Christmas card, and he'll write me on the internet. And he knew the package was over there, and he tried to talk to the government officials. They wouldn't let him get his package. Why? I don't know. I don't know what's going on, but uh, <laughs> that's sad. He's a good friend, though. 
So a pretty a pretty clear theme that I'm certainly picking up here, Pete, is that you have spoken to and become friends with and and chat regularly with just about all the big names. So many so many different fandom creators. What's the um, how do you go about that? What do you what what do you do? How do you how do you make these relationships? Well, a big help in that was knowing both Jim Shepard and Kerry um, and uh, Alf Gromberg. Of Gromberg gave me the connection to some of the Swedish people, and Hans Lindel was very good in English. So was Carrie Bappenen too. So they were easy to talk to. Yeah. And um, uh, as far as Cyberry, that was an interesting uh, way that we met Cy, and I have to really thank the late and great Ed Roach for that. Um, we both wanted to meet Cy, but Cy would not answer. His email, and it was another story <laughs> with his brother. He, his brother was doing some things, his uh, late brother, and he thought it was his brother trying to pull crazy shenanigans <laughs> on him. But anyway, <laughs> they did not make amends until his brother was on his deathbed, but uh, they did square that away. But anyway, um, we met a guy named, um, which guy from Brazil? Uh, uh, he worked with Cy. I'm having a brain freeze. Oh, oh um, I know the guy. I know the. He, uh, what's his name? He was a close friend with Cy, and he's the guy that did all the love scenes on the Eden, and he did all the animals. He was a great artist for animals, and so he and Cy were good friends. So when they did stories about where. The engagement and Phantom had to kiss Diana. I think he penciled those. Oh. Mm. Very good at that. And so Cy inked those. And of course, Joe Giello of Batman fame also. Is it Joe Gillia? Oh no, Andrew Andrew LeBlanc. Andre LeBlanc, yeah, that's who I was trying to think of. Andre was born in Brazil, um, painted in Cuba. He told me a story. He was painting uh, for money so he could eat. Um, after a hurricane in Cuba, he was cleaning his brushes and the water going in the gutter. And he cleaned his brushes and paint. He was selling his paintings. But uh, he and I got to be very good friends. Uh, what a knowledgeable person. You could talk to him about everything, anything and everything. And he had so much information, but he wasn't a know-it-all. He never put it in your face. He was just a great, great person. Well, anyway, Ed made Andre, and he was saying how we would love to interview Cy Berry. He said, I can make that happen. So he said, I'll talk to Cy. And Cy said, yes, we'll talk. You know, that's good. So Ed talked to Cy, and then he gave me his number, and I talked to Cy. And then we set up a luncheon, and we all went, and we've been friends ever since. So is that the beginning of the uh, of the Sardis lunches, the legendary Sardis? Well, no, the legendary Sardis uh, luncheon luncheon started actually around 1992, 91, 92, when we invited Lee Falk, and we kept bringing. Um, we usually do it in May or June, corresponding with uh, Jim Shepard's um, uh, coming to the states to do whatever legal work they had to do with. King Features, and so it would be Jim Shepard and Judith, Lee Falk, uh, 
At first, it was Bob Griffin, myself, and Ed Rhodes. And then we got to the point where Jim got tied up, so we asked Lee to come to dinner, which he was very happy to do at Sardi's. And Sardi's was picked, by the way, uh, because it was where Lee Falk used to go to way back during the World War II when he was out of the service. He was in the service for a while. A funny story about that that Lee told us. He was, he had KP duty and he was peeling potatoes. And this guy comes in, he says, are you Lee Falk, the, the author of, uh, and uh, author of the Phantom? And he said, yes. He says, get your butt up. I'll peel these potatoes for you. <laughs> <laughs> so Lee was very happy to oblige and let the guy peel the potatoes <laughs> as he talked to him. So he was a good guy and he had a lot of good stories. Mm. I I remember I can't remember if it was in a Friends of the Phantom uh, magazine or not, but um, Ed uh, he showed some pictures of Andre's. Um, he did the treehouse. There was oh uh, yeah, he gave he gave Ed the original sketch that he did of the treehouse, beautifully done, mm. and I was so impressed with it, and um, I had a great idea. I said, Andre, uh, I said, I love the treehouse, the design of it, and I was wondering if I could commission you to do something very special for me. So what I had him do, and I still have it, he did the treehouse as he had done for, had given Ed, but in blocks all around the treehouse, on the periphery, all around, he did a drawing about the life of the phantom as a young boy and with the wedding and it was like the, a whole life cycle of the phantom around that that tree wow. which i wow. thought was really cool and i still have that so. yeah that sounds amazing he was um yeah he's it's Cyberry had a lot of uh good assistance he did and uh, there are some other ones too that i met that weren't uh, as well known as Joe Giella and Andre LeBlanc. Uh, I think this guy name was uh, Steinberg or something. He was a younger guy, and he had a lot of uh, proof pages he was going to give to me. But prior to me meeting him, he threw them all away. Uh, it was really uh, sad. You know, cause to me, that's historical. Yeah. Yes. i tell you what we have. This is of interest to you. George Olson... Uh, yeah, George Olson did the canceling of the Phantom for a lot of years. And he was good friends with Ed and I. And he was getting up in age. I think he was close to 90 and getting somewhat senile. But I paid for it to happen. And instead of splitting them up, George Olson sent in boxes. It cost me $250 for the postage. But he sent... All of the um, proof pages and little sketches on vellum, which is almost like a translucent paper, uh, with the um, Lee Falk uh, printed uh, lines for the story. And I told them, Ed and I agreed that Ed would keep them together because he did more. He knew more about the stories than I did. And he was helping the current artists like that they needed 
you know, a certain aspect from one of the older stories, like what, um, you know, uh, Lalongo tribesmen would look like, or this or that, Phantom mm. Peak, he would have it. And Ed's wife still has it. I'm trying to get that because I don't want her to sell that. Number one, I paid to get it over here, and it was a gift from George, and we were supposed to split it. But I have to get up to Ed's house uh, and see if I can pick those up. It's quite a bit of uh, paper material. So sure. so would most of Ed's collection still be together with his wife, would it? Or? I don't know if his sister had thoughts of selling some things, but I don't know if Ed's wife let her do that or not. Um, I talked to his wife's name was Kim. I talked to Kim about uh, seven months ago, and she... I think wants me to come up. One thing I'd like to buy from her, if she's willing to sell it, is a uh, beautiful Don Newton splash page. I only have one piece of Don Newton's work, and I really like his art. Very mysterious. Yeah, no, I love his work as well, um, yeah. but I don't have any of his work. Yes. <laughs> very few people it's, would. Um, yeah, Paul, Maloney, Paul Maloney has some nice pieces by him. Yeah, Paul Maloney's, uh, he's got a very amazing collection. Um, he does, and he's a great guy. Yes. Well, we won't say that because uh, he listens okay. to this podcast and um, okay. uh, we'll never hear the end of it. Okay. <laughs> he's but a yes, good bloke. No. <laughs> yeah, no, he's, he's, a, he's a good friend of um, everyone on the podcast. Um, he, um, uh, Steve, who also helps with the podcast, he's... Um, a huge fan of uh, Alex Suviak, and um, oh, yes. Paul helped uh, Steve get a piece of uh, Alex's original artwork. I have a lot of Alex Suviak, and we, we talk maybe once a month. You know, um, I helped Alex as well as I did with Jim and all to complete their Phantom collection, whatever they needed, because at the time I had multiple copies of almost everything. I wound up helping Jim finish his Avon and his comic book collection uh, from the States. And I did the same thing to Alt Gromberg and uh, same with Alex Saviak and Lee Falk, I mean, uh, Cyberry. Yeah. So it's like a mutual kind of a giving and taking. And yes. I always try to send cards. I get a lot of um, enjoyment out of... Um, having cards made or coming up with a, a neat idea for Halloween or Thanksgiving. And most recently I've been paying Sal Valuto to do cards for me. Um, mm. He's doing uh, right now a really cool St. Patty's day phantom card. And he sent me the, uh, color scheme for it yesterday it's amazing i can't wait to send it to you yeah i um every time we get a card from you um uh the wife always enjoys having a look at it and and <laughs> she gets a good chuckle out of it she's not much of a fan fan but she loves uh she loves the cards and stuff like that that uh you well, they're, yeah they're kind of interesting i have a good one for valentine's day that uh at the printer right now so i'll get them out of Valentine's Day is probably not celebrated that much in uh, Australia, but it's uh, oh. February 14th. It, it is the, by uh, the 
It is by all of our wives and girlfriends. Don't worry about that. <laughs> I got you, mate. How many opals do you have to buy this year? Oh, my God. It depends on how many phantom things I've bought in that year. <laughs> I'm currently excited about the... Um, met this guy down in Florida. I never t- only talked to him. And I met him through a guy in New York uh, that had some coins made by this guy. And this is... Uh, you've seen some of the coins and you have some, Jermaine. They're absolutely beautiful, and this new coin is really, really cool. It's got a side done by Joe Giella and a side done by Hans Lendl. And um, I was really excited to get it. The only problem is uh, he doesn't, he's very um, secretive. So he probably doesn't have the rights from King. So, <laughs> So I think from memory, that exact story, I think he started or was trying to start a Phantom Club in the 80s yes, or Yes, he wanted so. to do this Phantom Club of America because he has a, a love of the Phantom. He said years ago down in Florida, they made a Phantom ring. Um, and it was basically a, more of a cartoon skull. It was well made, and they had a laser do an image uh, cut in of the good mark on either side of the ring. And I think somehow um, Glenn Ford got that. He traded a guy uh, named Bob Cook, who was a art, kind of an art comic dealer over here in the States. Uh, he met him in San Diego, and they did a big trade. And I think the other part of the trade was an original cover from um, uh, Harvey, Harvey Comics. Oh, wow. I have one Harvey, Harvey Comic Hits uh, cover, and I have um, what they did in those days. It was kind of interesting. I actually had two whole stories, but it's not all original art. They would get, um, I guess, a local artist that worked for the company to do a splash page, and they would take photo stats from King Features. And then they, if they had to add a doorway or if they had to add a window or a telephone, that would be the part of original art. But there is some mm-hmm. original art, and then I have uh, two whole stories from the uh, Harvey, Harvey Brothers. I don't even have all of those comics yet, let alone the original art. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can get them for you, mate. Just talk to Jermaine and we'll work through that. But they did, I uh, should have shown them to you when we had the visual. Uh, the first one they did was the one I really liked that says um, Phantom Club of America, and it had a three-dimensional shot of the Phantom head to waist and um, American flag in the background. And then on the other side, it had the stripes as you would say in the Phantom shorts. And um, I'm trying to think what was on the side. I think he was just standing there, head to the waist, too. Can't remember. But uh, the second one he did was similar. Oh, I know what it was. I'm sorry. The one with the American flag, Phantom was on the hero. In three dimensions, sort of like a gold tone, 
all solid color. And on the opposite side, the background was the stripes of the Phantom Sharps, and it was a shot from head to the waist of the Phantom with hands on hips, I think. And I really liked that design. And then the next one he designed was smaller, but on the edge of the coin, similar to an American quarter, it had what they call reeded edges, so it had like a texture to it. And it was the same uh, images, Phantom on Hero, uh, a la Cyberi, um, but it was in full color. And This next one now is uh, the shot by Joe Giella and um, Hans Lendl, which I really like. Hmm. So, you're so, right to say. Pete, you oh, go on. I- I'm ready. Oh, no, I was just gonna. I was just gonna ask. You mentioned before about. Um, um, you know, approval from King Features and that sort of thing. Um, it, it, having a read through some of the old Friends of the Phantom newsletters, I, I hadn't realised, um, I guess until I had a closer look, that you actually got all of the Friends of the Phantom newsletters approved by King Features, and you must have had some, oh, um, we some did. contacts yeah, well, there we wanted as well. To, we wanted to do that. Uh, that was very important to us, um, and particularly Ed Rhodes, to keep in the good graces of King. And in fact, it was a um, it was excellent for Ed because anything that came down a pike that was new, they gave Ed a heads up. Mm, for yeah. example, when the Phantom movie came out, uh, there were little tiny books, maybe about two inches or three inches tall and about two inches wide. Uh, telling the story of the Phantom with a photographic cover from Germany. And I was able to get a few of those King Features sent us a few. And things like that. So anything that came down the pike, stickers or clothing, we knew about. Hmm. So that was a good good connection. And that way, if there was anything, we'd let them read it. It was anything they wanted us to change. They'd read it and then approve it. Right. And hmm. did you did These you have to, to pay? The of, as well, no, they no. It was just because it actually cost us money to do it. Yeah, uh, we didn't make anything on it. I think what if Ed sold any? Um, if it had been I think he just put it right back into get buying the paper and stuff like that. Sure. So we weren't in it to make money. We were in it to really promote their character. Yeah, yeah. I think they like that. Yeah. Okay. So you also went to the uh, premiere of the Phantom movie in 96 as well. I did, but there's a sad story about that. They sent Ed and I uh, a letter of Paramount did because he actually got a chance to, um, they wouldn't let me come. He actually interviewed Billy Zane. It was quite interesting. And uh, George Olsen he interviewed. but anyway, they said the Phantom movie, we want to send your premiere ticket. Uh, I was teaching at the time, and it was during the week. So uh, I took off. I used a uh, personal day. Uh, they give us two a year. And I used one for something else, a doctor's appointment or something. So I had one left, and I went up there, and uh, it was fantastic. But basically, it was the New York press uh, at the screening, the very first screening. 
Well, a week later, I get a call from Ed. He said, Pete, can you come up to New York again? I said, Ed, I'm done with my my days. I can't get off anymore. He said, well, guess what? Billy Zane's going to be there with Lee Falk and his family. So when I couldn't go, he let uh, another friend uh, that was in the Friends of the Phantom that lived in New York, he gave him my ticket. But that was a day to go there. They had um, Phantom cookies, for example, mm. <laughs> that you could eat during the intermission. Uh, they presented Lee with um, a Phantom bronze, solid bronze statue sculpted, uh, Paramount did, and a pair of gold um, phantom rings. Not like what I have, but a, a thinner type, Ed was telling me. Oh, wow. So where they are now, I have no idea. I guess either his wife has them. Yeah. Or, yeah. Um, I don't know if you guys know it or not, but um, at the last, this past year, the San Diego Comic-Con, Elizabeth Falk was there with, uh, uh, I guess, a personal assistant. And what she was doing is selling original art. Oh. And they had a lot of early Cyberry and they, you know, maybe some other artists, uh, no Wilson McCoy, probably um, Fred Fredericks and some by uh, 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 Keith Williams. And um, Dan Herman got to see it first from Hermes Press, and he said he bought several thousand dollars worth of the early Cyberry, which was absolutely beautiful. Because mm. yeah. his, his reprints uh, are coming up towards being in the Cyberry uh, era. Oh, yes. I'm really looking forward to that. And um, if he needs me to write anything, uh, he wants Cy to do a special... A special drawing for it, so uh, he tried to ask me to ask Cy, but that's business, and I don't want to get in the middle because if you have problems with price, I don't, you know, I don't want to get in the middle of that. Yeah. So, yeah. So he was supposed to take care of it. Whether it happens or not, I'll find out. Yeah, I've um I've managed to pick up a um. Uh, Dan's got a couple of Cyberry originals, and I've got one as well. Um, I've got mine from uh, the Lee Fork estate, um, and then I think Dan got his from Cyberry himself. Yeah, that's, that's right. Fantastic. Yeah. Oh, and um, very gracious. You don't find many men like him. Mm. We managed to interview him on the podcast as well. That was it was a it was a real good fun time. Yeah, he's such a good speaker. And uh, Ed and I were privy several times uh, to watch Cy work in what they call a chalk talk, uh, talking about how he draws the Phantom. And he was working with a sixth grade class up in New York State, near where he lived in Long Island. And uh, he was just fantastic with kids, his demeanor, his manner. He'd make a great art teacher or just a great teacher. That, that's actually what he's doing now, isn't it? The, yeah, when, well, yeah, he's doing that in his spare time, and he's yeah. um, working with seniors. Um, I've been trying to encourage him, and he could do it. He did took a class in sculpting, and when I was visiting him up in Jericho, which is where he used to live, which was on Long Island, but now he lives further out in Holbrook, uh, 
in Jericho, he had this beautiful sculpture of a lady in a dress like the wind was blowing. And I tell you, it looked like the lady could move. That's how well it was sculpted. And I said, Cy, you need to do a phantom, an action phantom. So he said, I'm going to surprise you one day and do one. But he hasn't done it yet. <laughs> so speaking speaking of, um, you know, you, you've spent a lot of time um, – uh, talking with Cy at different times and talking with Lee Falk. Did you ever did you ever spend time with the two of them together? And and, and what was your understanding? Because those guys worked together for thirty three years. What was your feeling of how they worked together? That was interesting because um, when I talked to Lee Falk about it, everything was peaches and cream. You know, everything was real rosy. Yeah, we had good relationship. But when you talk to Cy, it wasn't quite the same. Yeah. Uh, he would send them impossible things to do, to draw, and they would have to think how they could incorporate it. I remember the story I'm thinking about in particular that gave Cy Fitz was with the Phantom Out West. They did a, song, a story about the, the Phantom, is, uh, it was the gunslingers and the whole bit, but it was problems with what it looked like the background and uh lee wanted it a certain way and Cy said it, in reality it's not that way or something so they they went back and forth uh lee was notoriously late sometime so what happens then if the storyline is late they have less time to do the art and then they have to burn the midnight oil and when oh. you rush the art doesn't come out as good as you know yeah, um, you saw that in uh, probably the latter years of Wilson McCoy, where the body shape of the Phantom, because he was doing the dailies and the Sundays, and he had to get them out quickly, became shorter and squatter in a way. I don't know if you noticed that, but mm. I did. But uh, Cy was smart enough. Lee did not know he had all the assistants. He thought Cy did everything. He didn't oh. know that until toward the end, you know, when when Cy retired. But Cy needed to get away for vacation. He called in Joe GL and Andre LeBlanc. Um, there yeah. was a couple other really good artists, too. Um, yeah, there's um, there was George Olsen, which we talked about. Um, yeah, George was good. Keith Williams. Um, Bob Forgone. Yes. Yes. Uh, Rick Buckler and Carmen Infantino. Yes. But his main go-to guys in his inner circle were Andre and Joe. And here's a story on Joe GL. It's quite interesting. Growing up from grade school, Cy Berry, Andre, oh, not Andre, Joe Giella, a guy named Al Scaduta, who was a Good cartoon artist. He did um, Little Iodine and a uh, strip called They'll Do It Every Time that went on for years and years, which was originally done by an artist named Jim Hatlow. But he was as good as Hatlow, I think. So, Cy Berry, Joe Giella, Al Scaduto, and a, an Italian guy named Emilio uh, Squiglio. And Emilio was known for his work on Captain Marvel. So those four guys went to school together, elementary school, 
all dated the same girls and were friends forever. And there was one other name he told me about, you'll be surprised, uh, Tony Bennett, the singer. They were all friends, yeah. And they're about the same age. Tony's close to 90 or is 90. But um, Emilio passed away um, as well as did Al Scaduto. Al Scaduto maybe about eight years ago and, and Amelia maybe two years after that. And both were great guys. Hmm. So I think from another article uh, from the Friends of Phantom, uh, you just got to meet and um, interview uh, Claire Moore, Ray Moore's widow? Yeah, uh, we did, but that um, Ed had to do that by telephone. Uh, we found oh, okay. her. She was in the um, home for the elderly, you know, assisted living. Uh, but she was clear of mind, very nice. And, um, of course, Ed and I were very interested in how Ray Moore came up with the costume of the Phantom. And because Lee Falk told us one thing at a Friends of the Phantom dinner, and then we found out through Claire it was quite different. And here's the <laughs> difference. Lee, Lee said that he actually came up with the costume and drew the first two weeks of the Phantom. Well, that could not be true because I have an actual drawing of the Phantom by Lee Fox, and so did Ed. He yeah, made I think one. I've seen that one. Yeah, and you could tell that he just doesn't have the artistic ability Great writer, but um, here's what Claire Moore said is probably closer to the truth, and the whole truth lies somewhere in between, but (laughs) on a weekend when he first got this idea and King Features approved, he knew Ray Moore from um, his hometown in um, Missouri, and Ray Moore was an assistant. I think he worked with the Mandrake artist for a while. Um, So Lee got in touch with Ray Moore, and they decided to have a weekend seminar with a couple other artists. She didn't remember their names, but... And they all huddled together, and Lee Falk was telling them that his idea of the Phantom is all from the classic stories of uh, literature, He's a little bit of Robin Hood and a little bit of Sir Walter Riley and a little bit of the Hangman and Ivanhoe and all this kind of stuff. So they were thinking about they wanted a kind of a menacing look. So they sort of did the the hood of the uh, what you would call a, a hangman back in the Middle Ages. Mm-hmm. And they gave him, of course, the mask and, um, you know, that's and the skin tight costume and the uh, German riding boots. So that was probably Ray Moore and whoever of whatever artist came up with that idea from what Lee told them. But as Uh far as Lee drawing them, I don't think that happened because even on the pages of his uh, uh, type pages, he'll do little uh, stick characters. He was better at that. (laughs) And, um, so I think that really is, and being very honest, I think it probably is the truth of how the Phantom got his costume. Uh, 
uh, as it looks, uh, you know, today. Mm. That's very interesting. Um, I'm just trying to think some of the other interesting articles that I found that I remember. One of the ones I liked was um, uh, George uh, George Wilson who did the was it he did the Avon covers as well. Yeah, he didn't do everyone, but he did most of them, and he did a lot of the gold key covers. Yes. You, you want to hear the story of him? Oh, I would love to hear stories okay. about all of these types well, of people. I, I, loved his, <laughs> I loved his artwork so much on the gold keys because they were lifelike, and they were paintings mm. and colorful, and he had a very good knack if you think about those gold key covers especially when there are explosions. One in particular, uh, he's on top of a tower roof, sort of like like Italy or Mediterranean uh, place, place in the Mediterranean. And there's a big explosion going off, and he's fighting all these uh, pirates on a roof. If you look at that cover, I can't remember the number offhand, the guy in the window is George Wilson. He did a self-portrait. He is the pirate in the window. And that's exactly what he looked like when I met him. And um, oh, wow. that, that was really kind of a neat thing. Well, anyway, I wanted to meet George Wilson. Ed could not find any information on him. So out of the clear blue, I got the number for up in New York for the... Um, Guild of Comic Artists, and I called up there and I said, um, "Hi, um, I want to interview an artist by the name of George Wilson. I was wondering if you had a current telephone number." So the guy says, "Give me a moment, please." And he said, "I do." And he he, he sent me the number, and I remember being kind of um, very nervous, like the first time I I talked to Cy because. In my mind, these guys were legends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I talked to George, and um, he was very nice. But he didn't have a lot of credence. He didn't give himself a lot of credit. He said, oh, it's just something that I did. He said, I did a lot of other war stuff that you might be interested. I said, I do like all of your work, George. I said, but I'm just fascinated with the Phantom, so... Then he got the point that I re- that's what I wanted to talk about. <laughs> so I said, uh, George, what would be the possibility of doing um, a painting for me? He says, oh, I don't have the right from King Features. If you could get a letter for me. So I called up King Features, our contact at that time, um, wrote me a letter, and I sent it to George Wilson. So he said, okay, I will do it for you. And he says, um, how come I get it to you? I said, how about, how about if Ed Rhodes and I come up and meet you? And he said, that would be great. So he lived in a place in New York, had an unusual name called Hastings on Hudson. That's the name of the area, which is off the Hudson River. And um, it's actually a half hour from where Luke McDonald was living in Peekskill, New York, which was a little north of that. So Ed and I, on a weekend, I drove up on a Friday night after school, spent overnight with his damn dog licking my face all night. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't get much sleep. But um, 
got up early and we drove up to Luke McDonald's house. And um, Luke McDonald was married to an African-American lady, a writer named Carol. Very nice. He had two children at the time. And uh, we had a beautiful interview. It's in the newsletter as well. And I was able to buy uh, five or six or seven pieces of um, uh, Luke's uh, DC art. Yeah. One in particular I really liked. I got number one cover where he's on the skull throne. Uh, if you remember that comic. Sure. Yes. And the very last page to the uh, 13 issue series, he's kissing Diana in a bridal gown. And I have that yes. picture as well. Uh, those two were very memorable to me. Mm. But um, so we interviewed um, Luke up until maybe around, from around 9 in the morning to around 1 in the afternoon. So then we drove about. 35 to 40 minutes and we're supposed to meet I thought at this restaurant bar called the Hastings house now George lived by himself and was currently work, um, doing freelance work for an army magazine and he would do covers like uh, shots of paintings of the Civil War battles or World War Two, and they would have stories about that genre. So that's what he was currently doing to make money. And his favorite hobbies were um, shooting at targets. He loved uh, target shooting. He used to do that quite often. And um, so we were supposed to meet at the Hastings on Hudson, and we're waiting, and it's 3 o'clock, and George isn't there. I called, and no one was at George's apartment. So... I didn't know what to do. It's now an hour and we should have been there. What happened was he thought we were coming to his apartment, which I would have preferred. But he did tell me to go to the Hastings house. So he eventually went back to the house. We got made contact and he came. And um, they didn't serve food for about another hour after that. So we interviewed him in this little room in the back where they served food. No one bothered us. So he said, Pete, here's your painting. And that was a painting that I showed you in the back room. Mm. And uh, he gave Ed the uh, sketch to that. So, wow. Uh, that so was that, that, uh, um, what was that? Sorry, I was just going to say, the comic that you were talking about was Gold Key number eight. Yes, yes. He is a pirate in the uh, in the window. It's George George Wilson. And um, trying to think, uh, he said he did like eight or nine of the gold key. Not all of them. He pointed out the two that he did not do, and the two that he did not do, I saw on the walls at King Features when I went up to uh, uh, meet the guy that was in charge of the archives up there, Mark Johnson. And he had like four of the Avon paperbacks. Oh, wow. Beautifully done. So I just missed the Avon paperback. I went to a uh, comic show in Baltimore County. And, of course, I always say, you know, I'm looking for anything phantom. Because you missed it by one show. Oh. And I said, can you describe the painting? And guess which one it was? The one which? that George Wilson did his portrait on. Oh. Uh, 
So I said, well, how much did it sell for? He said, I had a Tarzan cover and I had this Phantom cover. And he said, I sold them each for $500. Oh. I would have I would have paid that in a heartbeat. <laughs> but, um, oh, well, I said that, that was the one that got away, so to speak. <laughs> so has there been any other um, interviews or stories from uh, either from the Friends of the Phantom or anything else you um, uh, you would like to share with us? Um, I'm trying to uh, try to think if there's anything special. Um, I wanted to interview the Swedish artist because I had contact with Terry Leppinen and Ed did not and Hans Lendl, but he was very reluctant for me to do it. And his reasoning was is that by trade he was an artist and he said he knew a question. I said, Ed, I'm literate. <laughs> I know how to ask questions. <laughs> I may not, but so that never took place. And uh, that's one thing that I wish could have happened. Um, we had nice interviews with Alf Gromberg and found out a lot about Egmont and and, hmm. uh, and, and the workings and Alf's interest in Egmont uh, in the Phantom. He would be a great person to get on the podcast, Elf. Oh, he would do it as well. He's very articulate. Oh, okay. Um, has a nice speaking voice, and uh, he can tell you so many stories, as he told me. And uh, we did a lot of traveling when he we, he came to the state, so I heard every story that was available <laughs> about Elf um, Gromberg. But he would be a great guy for a podcast. Oh, we might have, have to, uh, might have to get you to do an int uh, introduction for us. Oh, of course. And what um, did um, we we have a lot of banter over here about um, uh, Lee Fork stories versus the Scandinavian stories and and who creates what whatever. Um, did you did you get a bit of a feeling from Lee Fork when you you spoke to him at various times about what he thought of um, other people? writing Phantom stories? Yes. Yes, I did. I asked him about um, how he felt about the Swedish stories, and he really liked them for the most part. What he really enjoyed, um, he told me uh, in an interview, just personal interview, that he, when he went to Sweden, he went to a place called Park and Zoo, which is about an hour, I think, northwest of Stockholm where they had a phantom land and a zoo and they had like a skull cave and a radio room. And when they introduced that, opened it up, they invited Lee Falk and he felt so proud that his character would come to life in a, a sort of like a quote unquote theme park, hmm. you know, sort of like a mini Disney, so to speak with the phantom hmm. walking around and, uh, uh, they had a little place where the kids could cross a little body of water on a pole raft and, of course, <laughs> the zoo connection with the animals. So he really liked that. Uh, as far as the stories, he, he liked most of them. Uh, I suggested a story to him, and he said, I'd rather you not tell me because it may get me mixed up. I don't want to use somebody else's ideas. 
Uh-huh. So that was on a personal note. I had a, I thought I had a really good idea for a Phantom Mandrake crossover, but he said, please don't tell me. <laughs> so what happened with that, I actually told um, Hans Lendl when he was the editor after Off retired, and uh, Hans actually worked my idea in one of his stories, uh, oh, wow. which, which was about, um, and it changed from, you know, but the original part was the Phantoms riding across a ravine and there's a landslide. And as the Phantom turns, there is a uh, mouth to a cave that opens up and he's quite interested and he explores it. And he finds a skeleton with a, in a uh, deteriorated Phantom costume and how he goes oh. back and finds out what happened. And then from there, they, they did their own thing with it, but that was my idea. And then um, when when I went to visit John Bedoni in New Zealand, and we went to the I don't know if you guys have been to New Zealand. Uh, yeah, uh, once. Okay, it's, uh, North Island, South Island. John lives in Auckland in the North Island, and he has a home in the Bay of Islands, which is a drop dead gorgeous place uh, yes. up on a cliff looking down and has a wonderful study and he's very well read we actually wrote a phantom story about the phantom coming to the bay of island and john had all the artist information we did drawings and i presented it to um hans lendl and he said he was going to uh have i think donnie Averell is that it something yes, like he's that the writer, yeah because yeah. Yeah, i think he's new zealand uh from New Zealand and so he was supposed to use that idea and then write the story but Hans Lundel left and I guess it went with him (laughs) but uh, there's a couple of things that you know you might be interested in yes so you've you've done a little bit of traveling um, uh, with because of the Phantom Um, yes so what, what, um, so you've, you've come to Australia, which was what? Oh, that would have been what about six, seven years ago. Um, I was there. I was there for the big fru bash when the Phantom turned fifty. Yep. Um, and there, there's a um, guy from Australia that lives in the states now by the name of Paul Whittle, and we got to be quite good friends. And um, in his business. Uh, it was computer related. He would go to Australia like every two weeks. So he had a lot of frequent flyer miles. So he offered his frequent flyer miles to me to oh, get wow. me over there. And I took care of the rest. But it was such a wonderful time. We were down uh, in the area called the Rocks yep. uh, near near the harbor. And I had a beautiful place there. And... Uh, would, I could walk right to Jim's office, and I got to see a lot of part, uh, a lot of the, that part of Sydney, which was quite interesting. And then I went to the Taronga Zoo with uh, Billy Higgins, Richard Fry, Bob Griffin, uh, and Tony Tadeo. So you know, it was quite cool to hang out with those guys. Um, hmm. And uh, I think at that time, uh, Billy Higgins took me. 
um, trying to think of the name of the store that sold Phantom downtown. Uh, the Phantom Zone? Phantom Zone, yes. I don't know if that was owned by Renee then or not, but... I think it was Glenn. Glenn. Glenn, okay. That was quite fun. Well, Glenn wasn't there that day, but uh, that was quite interesting, to, you know, to see the stores. And then, of course, I had to have a McDonald's burger in Australia. That was quite <laughs> cool. Uh, the second time it came is the time you're talking about when John and I came over and it was the supernova. And that was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed that. I got to see the Blue Mountains. And is it the Three Sisters rock that's, formation? That's right. Yep. I really enjoyed that. And we took, of course, the uh, ride across the ravine with the glass bottom uh, in the car. So that was really had a lot of fun, and Debbie enjoyed that very much. But uh, what happened was John and, I mean, John's wife's name is Kenda. Kenda and my wife, Debbie, went up to the Noosa area and explored, and that left John and I open to meet all the phantom dignitaries. You know, John, I had a lot of connections, even though I hadn't met everybody. And, of course, that's when I met Jermaine for the first time, I believe. Yes, yes, that was the first time we met. Great, um, great to meet you, and I think that was at the Supernova the first time we actually said hello. Yes, and, uh, I believe it backpack. was. You and your buddy, I can't remember his name, but good, good bloke. Yeah, I think good it might have been Luke. Luke Jagan, I think it was. Been. Yeah, yeah, I think it was. Yeah, and I had yeah, a great um, time at the. Um, it was fun because when Richard set up the uh, dinner. He had a little picture of me as I appeared in the newspaper uh, um, by Graham Mullen, and it looked just like me. So um, after the whole night was finished, uh, it was quite late, and I, Debbie and I got ready to leave, and he went, got the microphone and said, Pete Klaus is leaving the building, like Elvis, you know, Elvis <laughs> is leaving the building. So I thought that was quite cool. Yeah, the dinner's... Um Dan went to his first one last year. Yeah. Oh. Wow. And um, yeah, I've I've managed I've uh, managed to go to a majority of them ever since. So it's um, they're a great time. It really is, and you know, to get to see the various things that are donated that you might not get to see, and even if you can't afford them, or you can't bid on them. It's so cool to look at to see what's out yes. there. Yeah. I have one thing I want to mention to you you might find of interest. Uh, We were talking about collecting the Phantom, and I'd mentioned the Halloween costumes that I was keen on um, trying to get every costume. The earliest Phantom costume came out, I think, right around 1940, and it consisted of a purple suit with a hood, a mask, uh, but the only way you could know that it was a phantom costume was by a six-inch um, belt that had a uh, skull and crossbones on, and it said the phantom and K um, uh, KFS 1940. I was able wow. to – what was that? Uh, uh, no, it was just, wow, that, that's really early. <laughs> That is the earliest one that I could find. And I was able to find the belt, not the actual material. 
But I did see the whole costume on Hake's auction, and it was already sold by the time I got a chance to bid on it. But I had the most interesting part of it, and that is the only part that identifies it as a phantom costume. And then from that point on, I have every costume that I could find by Collegeville, and it might be eight or nine different. And, um, and they would change the front picture on the chest, the graphic on the chest, and the mask a little bit each year or each time they needed a change. And then a company called Ben Cooper did them toward the end. Um, and then when the movie came out, they had a beautifully um, well-made uh, phantom costume uh, in Spain. And I have that it came with guns and uh, the mask and the cow. In fact, in one of the newsletters, Howard Jesbeck's wife is dressed as a phantom wearing that particular costume. Huh. So if you go back and look, you can see that might be the issue where I do all the Halloween costumes. Yeah, I um, think I remember that one. The, the hardest thing that I found to find, I didn't know what that was out there, were the little, what they call, rack pack toys. A rack pack toy is a little cheap plastic toy usually um, on a cardboard card with a clear plastic sheeting over it. They used to hang on a rack, and they would sell from 29 cents to a dollar 29. And um, Giroux, and there was a, one other company that I can't think of offhand, that made these sets, but they did stuff like um, the Phantom Jungle play set. And they would have like uh, three little plastic animals, a chimp, a tiger, or a lion, uh, maybe a palm tree, and a little two or three inch high plastic Phantom piece. And it came on a little card, rack back card. Yeah. And then... Um, the same company made something called the Jungle Play Set, which was uh, sort of like a, um, a truck that you saw in the Phantom movie with the canvas oh, yeah. backing and a few animals there. And then it was one other offshoot of that same idea. Might have been the Phantom Train Set. One of the most bizarre toys that I picked up was a Phantom Knife. And I'll tell you why it's bizarre. It's just rubber, and it has a sort of like a tiger sheath that this little rubber knife sits in. And what was interesting is that this knife was actually made for a Tarzan toy. So the company, having the rights to make the toys, took a picture of the Phantom flying on a pterodactyl from a prehistoric time, sort of like uh, you would see Tarzan fly on in the comic book. Right. And there's our phantom on top of the pterodactyl. So that's one of the most bizarre toys they made. They did a camera that shoots water, like a trick camera, phantom yeah. camera. Yeah. And they did another one that would, by sliding the finger, would send Morse code or green light and a red light. I do have that one. I don't have the water one. And they did two different water pistols. A plain 45 on a card with a graphic of um, uh, one of the Phantom novels. 
And then the other uh, was a little earlier. It was a um, Rat Pack toy with the Phantom uh, water pistol, same pistol, but it had a holster with it. And um, I was very keen on finding how many different toys came out, uh, in, especially in the early 60s and 70s of the Phantom. And uh, Bob Griffin has a nice collection of them, ones I hadn't seen before. And then I tried to collect all the rest. Of course, I wanted to write about them. I wanted mm. Phantom collectors to know what was out there. That was my driving force. So... You know. Yeah, you have thought about um, producing a book at different times? or, or Yes. Um, we, well, the big story was Chris Smith's grandiose idea. He was going to pay for the book. Ed Rhodes was going to write all about the Phantom Artist and the Phantom. I My job was to write about the Phantom Collectibles. Yep. And, of course, I think what Chris wanted to do was get his name in there so people would contact him <laughs> as the, <laughs> to buy stuff. the book to get more stuff. That's what Ed thought, so, and I said it probably true. Yeah. But yeah. it never came to fruition because right after that, I think uh, problems with, uh, with his wife and uh, separation and divorce yeah. and whatever. And... Um, at that time, Ed's relationship with Chris went downhill. So, so, so back to your own collection, um, Pete. If we yes. we we had a bit of a collector's special, I can't remember now, a couple of months ago. Um, and one of the questions we asked then was, if there was a, um, you know, God forbid, if there was a fire or something like that going through the house, and you could save one item from your Phantom collectible, you know. Forget about how far back it is in boxes, in storage, or whatever. But if you could only save one item to, to take out of the house, what would it be? Probably the infamous Phantom Sirocco in the original box. Oh, in the original wow. box? See, yeah. that's that's upper level. I've, I don't think I've ever heard about it being in an original box. Yeah, here's the story. I have one, and Howard Jeffbeck has one. I'll tell you the story of mine first, and I'll tell you about his. He has a very interesting story as well, but I found a Sirocco from a guy in California. He didn't know exactly what it is. He just called it a little wooden figure. Uh And this is early on, and I didn't really know what it was, but anything Phantom I was willing to buy. So he said, um, $85. I said, done. So I bought it for $85, and it came, and it was beautiful. And I wanted to learn more about it. My one friend knew that it was a Sirocco, and he mentioned that King Features put them out, and they were sort of like a what they call a premium when you would send in a, a quarter and a coupon. You would get one of these figures uh and but I never had the box. I always wanted to see a box. So I found about a guy down south who collected Sirocco's and he did not have a phantom box, but he said he had um, all the boxes were the same, except the characters were uh, in little circles on the box. But the way that made it a phantom box, it was imprinted the word phantom on the end. So that's what really makes it the phantom box and they're very quite hard to find 
But anyway, he was able to give me, make me a phantom box, which was the first one that I had. And I stored my Sirocco in there. Later on, I went, I did a show in um, Atlantic City, New Jersey. And a guy walked by that I recognized his name. His name was Danny Fuchs, F-U-C-H-S. Danny Fuchs is a premier Superman collector, but he also likes the family. So we were talking. He says, you know what I have you might be interested in? He said, I have an original Phantom Sirocco box. He said, it's pristine mint. I said, well, what do you want for it? He said, $275. I said, for a box, are you crazy? He said, oh, it's very rare. I said, well, could you come down a little? So we settled on $200. So I sent for it, and that's how I got my Phantom and the Sirocco box. Wow. Howard Justbeck, on the other hand, was on the internet, eBay, and found the lady that had one. Not only did she have the phantom in the box, she had the original letter written to the company, and he got everything, uh, but he didn't pay $85 and $200. He paid like $13.50. Yeah. And he got everything. But he's got the ladder and he's got the original box and pristine mint Sirocco. And they used to have, I guess when they painted them by hand, they mixed the colors. So some of the Siroccos look purple, some look uh, sort of like a greenish color. He's got a couple color variations, but um, that wasn't important to me, really, to collect the color variations. I was happy with what I had. Yeah, yeah. Well, clearly, if that's if yeah. that's still the you know the number one piece in the collection, sort of thing. Yeah, only because it, you just don't see it, you know. Yeah, that's uh, I have other Rocco is probably one of the the top like grail items for most collectors. I agree with that. Um, I remember being at uh, this is before Howard had a I had a. Um, Sirocco figure. I was up in, uh, I had already had mine for a couple of years, and I met a dealer up in um, uh, uh, Antique Market in um, uh, Central PA near Reading, Pennsylvania. And uh, he said, I have a Sirocco figure. And I said, You do? He said, But it's got a problem. I said, What? He said, It's missing its feet, which I don't know if you guys have seen one in your hand, but it's very narrow down at the feet, and yeah. it's the weakest point. And basically, it's sawdust glued together into yep. a mold and then probably hand-painted. But anyway, they have a tendency to break at the ankles. And this one, the feet was missing, but it was a Sirocco, and I asked him the price, and he said $75. So I bought it for Howard. So that was Howard's first, and then he wound up buying one from, uh, what had been Chris Smith or one of the guys, and then eventually he got the, the home run, the one with the box. Mm. So that, that answers your question, I guess, somewhat. Yeah, yep. I've, I've got one missing the feet as well. I've been lucky enough to go and see a collection, Gary Horn in Brisbane, who actually has three Sorocos. 
uh, standing side by side. But he's never mentioned a box. So, Gary, if you're listening to this, um, now you've got something else to chase. <laughs> uh, the, the facsimile box that I had that was made for me uh, looks just like it. Almost the same kind of cardboard, same color. I gave to Howard Jesbeck when I sent him the one with the feet, uh, missing the feet because I didn't need it. Yeah. So I yeah. don't know what he ever did with three may so have that, which is neat for a collector just to see what it looks like. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, Paul Maloney had one that was unpainted. Yes, but, I heard about that. Um, Glenn Ford claimed they didn't think it was uh, a Sirocco that was made by the company, but rather maybe one of these uh, 3D imaging items. I don't know. I couldn't tell. I was excited to see it, but um, just mentioning what Glenn didn't think it was original. Oh. But, um, yeah. So, uh, one of the other questions, um, Pete, that we talked about when we when we had this collector's special um, is is long-term plans for the collection. And, and obviously, you've got a, a massively extensive collection um, and one of the things we all think about I guess is is what do we do with it when we go um, what, what are your plans um, down the well, track? It's kind of hard right now my son is interested um, before I had any real good original art uh, the one piece that you saw by a guy named Tom Lau was in black and white and it was um, the Phantom on Hero uh, Diana and um, the Phantom. He did a, a Sunday page for me, his own his own idea with the Phantom, and he put me in it. And I sort of looked like an Indiana Jones type with a, a fedora hat, and my son was in it. And uh, Peter was five years old when I had that made, and the story surrounded the strip surrounded a. Uh, the Phantom, uh, Peter and I were in the jungle and he sees this beautiful bird and he goes after it and trips down into a ravine and he sprains his ankle. And I said, Peter, I don't know how I can get you. And all of a sudden, a hand is on my shoulder. He said, oh, I'll help you. Any friend of the Phantom is a friend of mine or something. And the Phantom climbs down on a jungle vine that he cuts, puts little Peter on his back and saves him. Oh, uh, you know, and brings them back to me. So Peter said he'd like to keep that piece for sure. But as mm. far as the other thing, my girls really are not interested in it. Um, long term, never really thought about it. <laughs> That's the way to so go. I might have to send, I would like somebody that, to have it that would enjoy it. I wouldn't mind sharing it with people around the world, really, truly. Yeah. So, mm. um, I know John Bedoni likes some pieces, but he's made me into the um, written paper, the comic books in particular. Um, in fact, I had almost a complete run of the, are you familiar with the uh, British Miller comics? Yes. Yep. Little story there. I had like five or six, could never find many more than that. And I was reading the buyer's guide you know, 25 years ago. Um, and a guy in Chicago that I called said, I have a whole set of Millers. One, two, 
whatever it was, 18 or whatever it went up to. And um, I said, well, how much do you want for him? He said, $200, which was a lot then to me because raising three. But De my wife, Debbie, was a vice principal of a school, and she won a vice principal of the year. And the McDonald's Corporation um, flew both she and I out to Chicago um, along with all the vice principals from all 50 states sort of like a little thank you for what you've given to the kids and I got a free ride with her so I said when you go into your meetings I'm going to go to North Chicago and meet this guy so unfortunately I told Chris Smith about it and he pleaded with me to give him split them in half and he either would take the even or the odd so I had about five even or four even so I took the odd so I'd have number one since I went to get him and he took two through you know even numbers through 18 well anyway John Bedoni needs one book to complete that and he, at the time he needed number one and number three and as a gift I gave him number one and number three so I have a handful, but helping people like that is, I think, good. So then mm. if he concentrates on just the written book, at least someone will have it somewhere. Yeah. Like yeah. So. It's probably the thing that I love, one of the things that I love about the Phantom community, and it's not it's not everyone, but a lot of people are very of, generous. Yeah, um, I, I agree. And some um, can be devious, but even the ones sometimes devious, or even good-hearted sometimes. Yeah, and you know, like there's, you know, there's there's a lot of people like you know you've you've always looked out for me and um you know I've sent you some stuff and you've always and, sent me stuff and I mean just to know about it is fun for me and then we hmm. we exchange a little uh, with the Phantom it's even better and that's my yeah. favorite thing about the Phantom. Um, Debbie even said she's not. Uh, a big Phantom fan, but she likes it because I do. But she said her favorite thing was meeting everybody. Uh, the Cy Berries, when he came to Baltimore with his uh, lovely wife, Semi, and another couple, and I treated them to a real nice uh, restaurant here. And um, people like Alf Gromberg and um, Alex Saviak, who stays with me when he comes up from Florida. Uh, it's just wonderful. And the things mm. I've learned, um, and it's just a phantom community is, is unlike any other one that I know. Yeah. Have to agree with that. Yeah, I really do. And I tell you, um, I'm not saying it's because of the podcast, but I think, um, I would have to say Australia is the best phantom country in the world. For many reasons, the um, ongoing printing of the book, uh, the great job that Glenn and Renee are doing now to re revive stories that were never in print, uh, this new trade paper back in full color with all the uh, important stories that are related to the Phantom's rings and the childhood of the Phantom, stuff like that makes it new again for me and for other countries that have been collecting. So, um, hats off to um, the people in Oz. I love it.
you've been very gracious to me. That's awesome. Well, it's probably a um, it's probably a good time to kind of wrap up the convo, the conversation. Yes. <laughs> um, so I, I just want to say thanks, uh, 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 Pete. You know, um, it's been great touching base again, and, and uh, actually, instead of talking, instead of just the email. Um, so yeah, so thank you for um, for your time. Truly, uh, it was my pleasure. Oh, I've nice. really enjoyed meeting and, and talking to you, Peter. It's, Thanks, uh, you, you've been a, a, a legend um, that sort of... Uh, <laughs> no, you have. <laughs> you know, not, not well, very you many... you hear names and it's nice to hear the voice behind them. Yeah, that's exactly right. I want to mention one thing about Lee Falk that um, I did not mention. Um, the second time that I met Lee up in a, a comic show in New York... Um, after the interviews were all finished, Lee stuck around about two and a half hours, nearly three hours, sitting with me to answer all my questions. And, of course, people would come up and ask for an autograph. And i tell you what I liked about Lee. Somebody put either a comic book down or get signing. First thing he would just say, hi, what's your name? Where are you from? And he'd usually have a story that he could relate. And uh, that was the great thing about Lee that I really, really thought of as he was signing his autograph. It wasn't this thing like uh, I watched a guy that did the um, TV Batman uh, sign an autograph one time. He's got his head down, signs a book, doesn't talk to the people, and gets $25 per signing. See, that to me is not a good thing. Mm -hmm. So. What the way Lee did it, he did it right. He t took time with everybody, as much time as they needed or as much as they wanted to ask. And Cy Berry's the same way. Yeah. Yes. So, but anyway, yeah. it was a pleasure talking to you guys. If I can help you with anything at all, um, and if anything comes down the pike that's new on the family that I can um, show you, I'll be glad to do that. So with that, I'll say God bless. Thank you. No worries with the technical difficulties. It all worked out. <laughs> Thank you very much. Awesome. Okay. God bless um, you and stay well. 500 years ago, he washed ashore the sole survivor of a shipwreck. And upon the skull of the man who killed his dad, he said, I'm mad, I must eradicate piracy. Injustice and cruelty and all my sons will follow me So evildoers will believe that this man cannot die The Phantom The ghost who walks The Phantom Enemies beware The Phantom's always there But you won't find the Phantom He finds you